This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. Never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has, said Margaret Mead. Margaret Mead was an anthropologist educated at Columbia University who was born in the year 1901. Margaret was definitely ahead of her time and was more than likely the catalyst for making us view and review societal norms within our Western culture during the turbulent 1960s. Her views were not popular in her day, but proved to be almost prophetic as we evolved as a society. She was a leader in the truest sense, an influencer. She saw better before and beyond, and it takes that kind of leader to change things for the good. Positive change is the true test of leadership. Never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And now here in Michigan, there is a small group coming together to create positive change in the area of food insecurity. A group bound together by the words of another visionary leader, our Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Governor Whitmer has commissioned a Food Security Council to address the effects of COVID-19 on food insecurity and charged a group of Michigan residents to create positive change on how we can create a food secure state long term. It's a big ask and a big task, but never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Here to help Jerry and me talk about the big task and our small group is Louis Rubel, Chief Deputy Director of Opportunity at the Department of Health and Human Services and a member of the newly formed Food Security Council. We're back with Lou in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and our guest, as promised, Lou Rubel, the Chief Director of Opportunity for the Department of Health and Human Services here in Michigan, our friend, colleague. And uh, Lou, you and I have, uh, this is the first time I think I've gotten to see you, but I can't count the number of calls we've been on together and particularly the ones that you led uh, and we as we worked our way through this food crisis associated with COVID-19. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Jerry, for having me. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you, gentlemen. Well, let's let's start with you. Um, so we understand in kind of in the pre the pre, the production meeting you you've been with DHHS now for or in state service and civil service for about 20 years. Back us up from that. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? What? Tell us your story. 
Oh, okay, sure, Phil. Uh, originally from uh, Sutton's Bay, Michigan, uh, had the great opportunity of uh, spending about 15 years of my life working on a cherry farm, and so uh, have seen agriculture and food from that vantage point. Uh, have enjoyed the hot summer days of harvest and everything that comes with that, and sure. feel that uh, it's a big part of of my uh, life today and my interest in in this work. Um, was uh, fortunate enough to be able to go to Ferris State University where I uh, uh, received associates, bachelor's, master's, and most importantly, wife from uh, Ferris. And so uh, I'm a bulldog through and through and uh, and have enjoyed uh, my opportunity to, to stay uh, closely connected to, uh, to the university. Um, since then, uh, spent a little bit of time in law enforcement as I worked my way through college and then uh, ended up uh, in human services. And truthfully, uh, I look at the last 20 years as uh, something that has certainly shaped me. I found that myself, like many uh, that find themselves in civil service, really feel that the mission we carry out is incredibly important, and it's easy, therefore, to pour yourself into it and want to do right. Um, and, you know, Phil, looking at what we have uh, worked through since March, I don't know that our work has ever been more important, frankly. And uh, although we have been on plenty of calls, I, I feel like they've uh, all been productive, and uh, hopefully uh, we continue this partnership moving forward. It seems like it's the right thing for uh, the residents of Michigan and uh, our our work goes on. Great to have a 20-year veteran in civil service on the show. I mean, it, I, I have to say one of the one of the objectives, kind of, that we think about um, is trying to help people understand the value of the work of the social servants who are doing a huge amount of lifting to make sure the government works the way it's supposed to and uh, and sometimes don't get the credit that they really deserve for all that it takes to make things happen. So I just want to say thank you for your service. Um, that's a lot of years of, of helping a lot of people get things done. And, and I understand from Phil that you run the best Zoom call in the state. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll give you credit for that while we're at it. <laughs> well, I, I wish that were the case. Uh, we uh, we certainly have enough time on Zoom to practice, so maybe, maybe that's a, <laughs> a, a sign that I'm honing my skills a little bit. So I appreciate that. Well, it, I think it's going to be listed as a skill now on our resumes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know? right, right. Yeah. You, you know, Phil, well, you, you say that. I know uh, as I have pretty routinely individuals that reach out to me for career guidance, I have, have quickly said, look, um, being able to put together a slide deck that can convey a lot of information in a hurry succinctly to be able to communicate to the masses as well as communicate, you know, over Zoom and, and through electronic means is probably more important now than ever and will likely increase right. the importance. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. And certainly the way that COVID has impacted every aspect of life in Michigan. Um, but now school districts are making very difficult decisions about how do they educate the, their children. And so many of them are have made the decision to go back virtually. And so that skill set of being able to communicate like this through uh, electronic means is pivotal for uh, future. So I think it really is a skill and uh, you, you, you've mastered it already. So, um, well, that, you know, I love hearing your story, um, you know, and uh, I'm happy that you got uh, your MRS degree there uh, at, 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 at Ferris State as well. Um, 
And so uh, it's it's great to have you with us. We'd like to maybe just talk a little bit about um, some of the, uh, you know, your title at, at DHHS is really interesting to, uh, to Jerry and I, Chief Deputy Director of Opportunity. Uh, I think they created that for you, because I, I don't really remember ever seeing that on anybody else's uh, signature line from DHHS. So I think that uh, maybe uh, Director Gordon must have created that for you and brought you in to make this happen. And, and certainly you fulfilled that, and our relationship and experiences between the Food Bank Council and DHHS has been a strong partnership for many, many years. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Um, you know, certainly uh, the the chief deputy role of opportunity. I'm I'm actually not the first to sit in it. Um, the job has evolved a little bit, um, as many of our jobs have, especially since COVID. Uh, really, if you know, if you kind of break down what's included in in my role, I try to lead our charge around our our human services um, assistance programs. Um, you know, we really try to work to. Uh, to ensure that the safety net's strong, um, and mm. underneath, kind of, you know, my purview is our public assistance programs. You know, food assistance, if you will. We determine eligibility for Medicaid, our uh, cash assistance program, emergency programs, and, and some others. Um, in addition, you know, our child support program falls into into that realm, and our disability determination services as well. Um, you know, these are all important programs, and I think that the importance of them really has. Uh, had uh, been underscored as we moved into the pandemic. Um, you know, we have seen a tremendous amount of um, need for these programs mm -hmm. and have really, uh, really worked to improve access. Um, ultimately, um, individuals who are, are coming to the department in need of food, for instance, um, you know, the, we really wanted to reduce the administrative barrier. If, if people need assistance and if they're eligible for assistance, then we want to make sure that we can efficiently get them those benefits. It's, it's the right thing to do for, for their family. It takes stress out of that situation. Um, ultimately, I think all of us found ourselves as we're facing a pandemic for, you know, at least the first time in my life, really on uncertain ground, you know, I mean, walking through stores mm -hmm. and seeing shelves that were empty, you know, there was so much stress that the pandemic brought to the average family. Um, we knew in the department that if we could, could really put our best foot forward and approach this really challenging time in a manner where we eased and alleviated some of that stress for families around kind of these human service programs, um, that it would hopefully allow them to to handle this crisis a little bit easier um, and, and, and our sure. work goes on with that Phil absolutely absolutely guys let's take a quick break here come back uh, Jerry I know you I can see you ready you you got questions I can see that so let's pick right it on down right it blade. down I see you doing that let's come back <laughs> in just a minute our guest Lou Rubel who is the chief deputy director of opportunity at the Department of Health and Human Services Jerry Brisson Dr. Phil Knight here we're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with our guest, Lou Rubel, the Chief 
Deputy Director of Opportunity for the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, great partnership we've had for years with uh, DHHS, Lou, and uh, started with MASS, Michigan Agricultural Surplus System, where you guys uh, uh, give a grant to the Food Bank Council, and we go to the Michigan farmers and buy their seconds, the ones that retailers don't want, whether that be fruit or produce or whatever. And it's, it's, uh, it was the fir a program first of its kind in America and has been replicated across many, many states. So I always like saying uh, first and Michigan in the same sentence. I like doing that a lot. So uh, Jerry, I know you got some questions for Lou, so let me just uh, throw it over to you. Yeah, so I mean, certainly agree wholeheartedly with the importance of your services, especially as we work with so many people who need a mix of things in order to get their life in the right place. So when we think about food and, and how people get food, we talk about retail which obviously is how most of us get our food and want to get our food. We talk about subsidized retail, and that's where we use a retail environment and we subsidize it with things like double-up bucks at farmer's markets, right? I mean, that's one example, but there's other examples, too. We talk about, then, benefits, and benefits are certainly SNAP and certainly WIC and the other things that people get so that they can get food, and again, a lot of that goes back to retail and subsidized retail, and then where we come into the picture is the free food, the, the food that kind of fills the gaps that all those other things don't fill, and when you think about the size and scale of making sure we have a food-secure community, Community, we think about it in those four levels. Probably the most interesting conversation that we're engaged in across the state around this issue is how do you connect those benefits with work in a way that when people have a you know less than living wage, we make sure that they can still get all the food they need by thinking about coordinating those benefits with what people's real opportunities are to get food in their community. And I know that, that um, you know, trying to keep a handle on that in normal times is hard. But right uh -huh. now, with all of the various things that are happening and aren't happening, and how do you stay on top of the coordination of all of that? Yeah, so Jerry, you know, you bring up some great points there, and you know, truthfully, uh, this is a, a complex world, right? You know, you had, had outlined kind of, you know, how many different inputs there are into, you know, ensuring that that our residents and friends and neighbors across the state have enough to eat. Um, you know, from the department side, if I could maybe just walk through a couple of things that we have tried to do since COVID has uh, has you know come upon us, because I think that it, it touches on a number of those things. Um, you know, early on, we, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we, we really took some pretty aggressive steps to reduce administrative burden. You know, when, when we knew we needed to do that for a couple of reasons. One is we wanted to make sure that we didn't get ourselves into a position where we had significant backlogs. Um, we thought that that would be detrimental, especially around food assistance. And we had some opportunities with our, our federal partnerships to reduce some of those administrative burdens and allowed our, our staff who were adjusting to working from home. We had, you know, uh, over 3,000 staff that in a matter of a week we had to 
leave an office environment and get them set up in a, in a home environment. Um, and we wanted to make sure that they could efficiently move through this work. So we, we took some, some steps on that front. But from a programmatic standpoint, to your um, you know, essential point of, you know, as, as people are working during the pandemic, we've seen prices of food rise. Um, their purchasing power has, therefore, the food assistance purchasing power has been reduced. Um, we were able to get uh, a, a waiver from the uh, Food Nutrition Service called uh, Emergency Allotments. This actually was uh, some legislation that came through for us that we have implemented. Uh, it started off in March, and each month that the state of emergency is extended, we're able to request approval to then continue this program. W what this means is for our, our families that have income um, that do not receive the maximum al allotment of food assistance benefits, it allows us actually to maximum um, to take them to the max. So uh, their maximum benefit is given to them every month, even in, if in traditional times they would not qualify for that. From a state standpoint, um, this means that between uh, 60 and $70 million of extra food assistance is issued um, to low-income residents each month. Wow. So I think that that helps kind of frame maybe one of those responses that, that gets to your point of, you know, how do we try to stay on top of it and how do we kind of leverage this to help out those that are, are food insecure? Well, and I think just talking about the scale of that program is important because while certainly what the food banks are doing is critical for people and we're really proud of our work, you know, we're, we're in, the, in the ballpark of four to five million pounds of food that we're distributing uh, every week. And so when you talk about 60 to $70 million a month that's, that's given to families to go get retail, right, and to some degree also subsidize retail depending on how they're spending those dollars, that's not just driving uh, success in terms of food security, but the economy. And it's, it's helping those businesses that are part of the food supply chain that have been so terribly disrupted by the pandemic to actually maintain a level of service that's been, in some instances, significantly higher for them as well. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's just, it's a really important thing to understand the scale and the scope of all these things together when you really start piecing the puzzle together about how do you make sure people have enough to eat. So again, that was an excellent example, certainly something that we've appreciated because every dollar that people get that way, we know keeps them from needing to come through the line and the lines are pretty long for us right now. You know, Jerry, that's one of the things that Phil and I have really kind of talked about is, you know, the Emergency Food Network, which, you know, does an amazing job. How do we move as many uh, people are, uh, that can, are eligible for food assistance onto that program to help alleviate that pressure on the Emergency Food Network? Because uh, the growth that your teams have seen has just been amazing. Um, and we certainly uh, hope that if there is individuals that are in need of uh, food pantry services or food bank assistance, um, if they're not already familiar with uh, how to access our, our food assistance program, then we get them uh, connected to that program because uh, we, we believe that from a sustainability standpoint, that helps everybody out. I think the numbers are um, in regard to SNAP and food banks. I think SNAP provides nine meals um, for every meal that we provide. So, you know, it, it I, I don't really think you probably have to be too great of a finance or an accounting person to grasp that value. 
Uh, And the other thing I think it's really important as we continue through this pandemic um, is that this is a program that you guys have illustrated can be ramped up quickly. Whereas the physical distribution of food, we've grown from 2.6 million on average prior to the pandemic to 4.5 million on average since the pandemic. And we've had to grow that infrastructure to be able to support that additional 2 million pounds of food that gets distributed every week by our network. That takes time. That takes a lot more time than, okay, here's a federal program. If we can ramp this up and and get it out and in SNAP and in pandemic EBT and lots of other opportunities, it's something that can meet a need fast, is my point, and you can scale it to degrees that no one really, no one else really can. So I think that's really why it's important. And this, this Heroes Act that's been passed by the House, and the the Heels Act that is being contemplated in the Senate, the Senate version has no nutritional support uh, in its present form and i think we're going to have to you know uh reconcile that because i don't you know we've got you've got to have something to be able to scale up with right and so uh i think that our our work and policy uh at the food bank council and at the feeding america government relations team uh is trying to apply the right kinds of incentives to people to so that they don't leave us without the tools we need to help our hungry neighbors yeah, that that certainly is is spot on, Phil. Um, you know, and we've we've certainly heard testimonials from uh, families that have you know received the emergency allotments in pandemic EBT, as you had mentioned. Um, these resources had made a, a significant difference in families across our state. Um, so I definitely think that you know for individuals or families that aren't food uh, insecure, it's it's kind of easy to not think about it. But for those families who are food insecure, um, it's probably the only thing you think about. So uh, uh, incredibly yeah. important. I think you're exactly right. Guys, we got to take another break here, but we're going to come back with Lou Rubel, who is the Chief Deputy Director of Opportunity for the Department of Health and Human Services. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back in just a moment. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with our guest, Lou Rubel, the Chief Deputy Director of Opportunity at the Department of Health and Human Services. And, um, you know, I said earlier, I like saying Michigan and first. Lou, and uh, I think you have another example of that for us uh, about how the Department of Health and Human Services has really walked across the threshold of people's lives at the right time in order to help them during this pandemic. 
Yeah, you bet, Phil. So um, in some of the early COVID uh, legislation and resources that was passed at the federal level, there was a program established called Pandemic EBT. This program uh, realized that for a large number of uh, school-age kids across the United States uh, that would typically be fed through the free and reduced lunch programs that exist nationally, um, that the burden of, of those meals was going to fall back to the family who may or may not be in a position to, to you know, help provide uh, those meals to their uh, their children. So the pandemic EBT program um, was made available. Now, this program, from an administrative standpoint, um, was first of its kind uh, to be created. Michigan certainly realized the benefit of it to, you know, the hundreds of thousands of school children. And, you know, as you and I have talked about, we started to see need for foods uh, grow, mm-hmm. you know, instantaneously as COVID set upon us. So we really hunkered down and, and try to figure out how to bring this program to Michigan as absolutely quickly as possible. Um, now, the department certainly has a, a component of this, but we relied heavily on our partnership with Michigan Department of Ed, um, who stepped up big. It was a priority for them, our governor's office, and others. And as a result, um, in April, we were uh, the first state in the nation to be approved to actually begin issuing these benefits. Um, and, and this this made a lot of difference. Uh, we're over, uh, over 900,000 uh, Michigan uh, school-aged kids received uh, these benefits or their family received it on their behalf uh, to the tune of about $370-plus million. So uh, when we look at food insecurity and we look at kind of this federal resources made available, um, we were fortunately positioned where we had the, the right people that had the right technology infrastructure and the right intent. Uh, those things met up essentially to allow Michigan to kind of um, uh, set pace, if you will, across the nation on this program. Um, And it has been a program that I think has really met the needs of uh, Mm. of some of our families that that would have otherwise struggled. Absolutely. Um, You know, that, well, the PEB programs, again, walked right in at the right time for our folks. But, um, you know, I know there was a public health concern as well for, you know, I mean, we talk about the vulnerable population in this pandemic, the senior citizens who really didn't want to go out to the grocery store uh, because of uh, the, you know, the concern. And I know that Jerry and his team and our team at Food Bank Council worked with some folks on your team, Dr. Alexis Travis, in order to uh, create some quarantine boxes specifically for senior citizens. But uh, that led to another innovation, I think, too, that I think that Jerry has a special interest in because of one of his projects there at Gleaners. And and so tell us a little bit about that, the online concept that's developed. You bet. You bet. So um, one of the things uh, that had started to uh, to become available in a couple of states across the nation was the ability to use food assistance benefits or EBT benefits uh, to purchase groceries over the internet. Um, in a traditional sense, to uh, purchase groceries using a, a EBT card, uh, the individual with the card has to be at the point of sale machine at a retailer and then has to enter in their uh, their PIN number. Um, mm-hmm. So this, obviously, from a public, public health 
health standpoint, you know, we wanted to take any steps we could to keep people from, you know, from uh, out of grocery stores if possible from a congregation standpoint, just to reduce crowd size and things of that nature. Um, and so we were really uh, fortunate uh, in May to bring this technology to Michigan where uh, individuals now who are receiving food assistance benefits can shop for their groceries online, paying for them online. It's limited right now to only two retailers that have uh, the certification in Michigan, Walmart and Amazon are those two retailers, but we really hope that we can uh, can work to expand this to a number of other retailers across the state because we really think that this provides individuals with some additional choice and can help keep uh, folks safe uh, and, uh, and kind of benefits everybody. Well, I think Jerry might be praying about that right now. I just I just saw his hands up in front of his face. So maybe is that what you were doing there? Ah, no, listening, just listening carefully. Although yeah, from, prayer prayer helps us a lot too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Well, from uh, loose lips to God's ears, we can. <laughs> well, for sure. I mean, there's so many different. When the face of hunger isn't just one, right? There's many, many faces of hunger, different people in different circumstances that put them in a place of food insecurity. And seniors are a complex, uh, very dynamic group of people in a lot of different scenarios. And so we have to find ways to serve all of the people who might be food insecure in every way that we can. I, I, and so I'll talk about mobile grocery in a minute and how we think that helps. But, but one of the most important parts of this conversation, I think, is that uh, the, the government programs can be a lot more nimble than what the average person imagines. And I think that you've given us several really good examples of when a push comes to shove. Or my dad used to say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Mm. And, uh, and where, where do state uh, bureaucrats fall in that, right? So, so I know it's like a dirty word, but it isn't. And that's exactly my point, that all of the civil servants that are working on this and that care so much about the residents of Michigan didn't take a lot of time put a really nationally coordinated through the state, through partnerships with, with retail and food banks and a lot of other things, put that all in place in a very short amount of time so that people got immediate benefits, which reduced the level of panic and anxiety that people felt as this thing was starting. Sure. And it's maybe hard to remember the rush on the grocery stores and all the toilet paper disappearing and, and the food <laughs> supply chain was really disrupted for several weeks because people felt panicky about this. Well, those examples that you gave about how government can really work quickly and effectively to get people help to reduce that level of anxiety and keep the community really manageable in a certain way is, I think, a, just a critical point to make in all of this. And those, Lou, were, were all really good examples. And I, I just want to, again, uh, point out, um, we when, when we got the help we got from the state, which was critical so that we could focus on getting food to people rather than how are we going to fundraise for this, um, that that is a, another example for us of how the state really stepped in right away and said, we'll figure out all the details, but for right now, let's make sure that people are getting the food they need. Tell us what startup costs you need. We're going to give you those startup costs so that you can start getting food wherever you can get it from in the food supply chain so that we're filling in all the cracks. We're taking care of the big pieces filling in the cracks and making sure the community is well served. So it really is a, a, a laudable 
work and uh and it goes it's it, i i just feel honored to be working with you and the state on all these things to serve the community it, it's it's uh you know i hope it makes the history books because it should well i think so i agree with you 100 percent. hey you know we've talked about what we've done in the last four and a half months or so but lou we've got a We've got a little project coming up that you and I are both a part of, and Jerry announced on this show, uh, you know, just a week ago, um, where the governor, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, has seen in her experience and in her vision for how to make Michigan better, uh, the idea of forming a food security council so that we could work together. There's 24 of us coming together to address this and um she wants uh she wants to know what we're doing about co with covid as a backdrop but she also wants us to really give her ideas and a plan about how we can make michigan a food secure state and of course you're on that committee and uh i'm excited that we get to continue to work together so give us your thoughts about this uh food security council that governor whitmer has created yeah, certainly. So, uh, first of all, I, I, I think it's important to note, Phil, that she uh, has you chairing the uh, the council, which I think shows kind of you know your expertise in in this uh, body of work. And so, congratulations on on really being tapped to lead such an important group. Um, you know, here is my truthfully that that's so impressive, Phil. Um, here's here's kind of my thoughts about the council. You know, we are are really busy at times, kind of fighting the emergency. The council is going to allow us to step back and really try to understand food insecurity to a degree that that we you know we will benefit from for generations to come. So you know as as defined within the executive order, and and you know, for folks who haven't seen the executive order, uh, this is something that needs to get traction quickly. Really looking at kind of you know, what do we know about food insecurity in Michigan? The nature, the scope, what you know, what evidence-based policies are out there? You know, what are the things that just make sense from a an investment standpoint to better you know the lives of, of Michiganders who are struggling on this front? Um, and how best to coordinate resources? My goodness, there is so many moving parts in this world. Are we you know are we as efficient and streamlined as we should be and this is going to give mm -hmm. us that opportunity to take a step back and evaluate all of that call in the experts you know whoever they may be in their specific topic area um, learn from it absorb and make sure that we have the right path forward uh, that will benefit everybody and all of us I have great thoughts great thoughts I, I think of something that one of my mentors used to say and that's you know reacting isn't leading <laughs> and so that's, that's what we're having to do so many times in an emergency situation, we're reacting. Well, this will give us an opportunity to step back and really see it. Hey, Jerry, Phil, appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Thank both of you, your leadership and your organizations for what you guys do. It certainly makes Michigan better. And, and thanks again. Appreciate it. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this show in just a moment. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this show with Lou Rubel, the Chief 
Deputy Director of Opportunity. Don't you love that title, Jerry? Yeah, you know, I want that title. I want to be something having to do with making opportunity for people. <laughs> it's awesome, right? It's well, awesome. I, I You might not have that exact title, but my friend... Uh, you are making opportunity for people because you are, you and your Gleaners team and the rest of our food banks across the state are taking hunger off the table for sure. And we, I think with Lou, we saw how our program and their programs are really working hand in hand to accomplish that. Yeah, no question about it. And the scope and scale of what they've done for the pandemic is laudable and impressive. And we're so happy to be working with them in so many ways. You know, I promised to talk for a second about mobile grocery. So just to let people know, the online EBT is one of the things that intersects with our program, which really is designed to serve seniors who have a hard time getting to the grocery store. But some of those seniors don't need just free food. What they need is low cost food so to subsidize what they're already getting however they're getting income you know it could be from social security or a pension or whatever it is it might not be quite enough to make ends meet those seniors are sometimes embarrassed or they think someone else needs free food more than they Mm do so giving them a low cost option which for us is 40 percent better than low-cost retail but still makes the seniors uh feel like hey they're contributing significantly to their own well-being brings a lot of pieces together so that they feel comfortable and we're serving literally hundreds of seniors this way and online ebt is one of the things that's going to help us do even more so um Quick explanation of what that program is, but uh, but another example of how what Lou is doing and what we're doing in the food bank network intersects and is important to each other. I think I you know great innovation and how do we make those programs fit and work together to best meet the need of our people that we're serving here in Michigan. Time for a little food for thought. Margaret Mead believed in the power of a small group of us binding together to take on big challenges. And I'm encouraged that there are some really smart people like Lou Rubel coming alongside of us to take on this big task of food insecurity here in our state. It was Jerry who first said, you can't solve a problem you aren't convinced can be solved. We're convinced hunger can come off the table here in Michigan. So is our governor, So is our state departments, and so are we. That's it for this week. Until next time, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.